Hello and welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. My name is Julie Faithan Balzer, and I believe that curiosity is the key to creativity. Together with my super special co-host and my mom, Eileen Shu Balzer, we ask questions of each other and our guests while discussing learning, the creative career path, finding balance, looking at art, setting goals, and why being creative matters. Our goal is for this podcast to stimulate your imagination. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. Is your imagination stimulated by the terrible weather we have outside? I'm obsessed with the gloomy day because we had such nice weather before. You know, it is a gloomy day, but the window I'm looking out of shows a lot of tree branches. And what I'm noticing is that overnight, they have sprouted those little pale green tiny leaf buds, which means they're about to burst out in leaves. So I'm actually feeling positive. That's true. I have been pointing out to the baby all the different trees and how much bigger, like in our backyard, the little leaf buds keep coming. And I keep promising him that flowers and leaves are going to come out. So this is the moment. Something There's something to be hopeful for. So listen, today on the podcast, we're talking to Edva Sims about her pottery business. And we're talking a lot about not having to be perfect and really that handmade items matter, which of course they do. A couple items of interest before we jump into this, I want to remind you that becoming a monthly member is a great way to support this podcast. It's also a great way to entertain yourself with lots of fantastic art education, information, inspiration, and you can check all of that out at ballserdesigns.com. I have an upcoming live online class called Design Bootcamp. It's a fantastic five-week course, and I'm just going to read you a quick quote from a student who took it back in 2020 who said, this is the toughest class I have taken in my art journey so far, and it is the best class because it kept me out of my comfort zone the entire five weeks. The format inspired me to take chances and create some different art with the help from the group. I love the longer timeline. Letting ideas sit and having time to explore by doing homework was helpful. We'll definitely take again or the next level. So if you're looking to up your art game, if you feel like you're really looking for that personal style, if you're feeling like you want more and you want to be able to say more, if you're feeling frustrated with what you're creating and it's just not matching what's in your brain to what's on the page, then I hope you'll check out Design Bootcamp. You can see that all at juliebalzer.com. So with all that said, let's get on to the guest. Okay. So our guest today is Edva Sims, and Edva has been drawing, painting, sewing, and sculpting since she was a little girl. She was inspired by her mother, who was also a potter, and she fell in love with clay and its ability to tell a story. So Edva thoughtfully sculpts and handbills each pottery piece in her studio in Los Angeles. Her upbringing and roots are heavily present in her work. She was born in Israel, grew up in South Africa, and now lives in Southern California. She loves incorporating bold colors and unique clay textures into her pieces, and each piece she makes is filled with positive energy, which she hopes will transcend from maker to buyer. So welcome, Edva. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. I have to tell people the story of when I first met you, uh, which is, I think I met you at Studio Crescendo, which is Jenny Doe's teaching space. Yes. And I I particularly remember that you told a hilarious story about meeting Angelina Jolie (laughs) in the playground with your kids. Yes, I remember telling you that story. I can't (laughs) believe you remember it, actually. That was a long time ago. It was, but it's so funny because I remember that story because I think one of the details from it that stuck out in my mind as interesting is how she just introduced herself to you as Angie. And it was a reminder to me of how little we know people because like the names that they use aren't the names that we use. You know what I mean? Totally, totally. And I was somewhat new to Los Angeles, you know, growing up in South Africa, you don't really see Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie at the the park. So... (laughs) I was a little bit starstruck and I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, who is that? And and then I realized, and then when she came up to me and like introduced herself, I was even more like, I'm sure my mouth, you know, my jaw was on the floor. So it's, that story kind of stuck with me and I can't believe you remember it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, you know, I started following your Instagram and I think the first thing that I remember seeing is you were teaching um, pottery to kids. Yes, actually, um, way back I graduated and my background is in psychology and I worked with kids with autism for a number of years. And then I started having my own kids and after my second child was born, 
we moved to the United States and um, I think it was just too much for me to go back to work full time and I wasn't ready. So I took, you know, a few months off, not off, but I took a few months away from work. And really what I did with two babies is art, you know, shaving cream and all that fun stuff, Play-Doh. And I just started getting really into art again. My mom is an artist. So I grew up, you know, in a home that was easily accessible to create. Um, And you know, going to college, I didn't do anything really creative, but it was always inside of me. I was always doing things, you know, sewing clothes for my dolls. And, you know, my mom didn't love this phase that I went through, but I used to paint my walls a different color of my bedroom. Um, <laughs> so I always had it inside of me, but I, I after having my second child, I, I really just was doing art with them day in and day out. And that led me to start, um, teaching kids because their friends would come over the preschool that they went to. They asked me if I could teach a little bit and, you know, one step turns into another step and I was teaching art full time, which was wonderful. Um, and so I started preschool being an art, you know, uh, studio teacher. And then I started teaching elementary school. I kind of followed my kids a little bit. My kids were in preschool, so I was teaching in the preschool age. Then when my kids started um, attending elementary school, I would volunteer in their classrooms to teach art. And then the school asked me if I would teach uh, once the previous art teacher had left. So I was teaching. And then, you know, ceramics has always been a really favorite of mine um you know when you dig your fingers into that clay some magic happens that you can't really well at least I can't really explain in words um and I just started focusing on ceramics and doing a little bit of the other mediums less and less so that's really how I um stepped away from teaching um and I also stepped away from teaching once COVID hit um I left the you know, um, the elementary school. And I just started teaching in my own home studio to kids. Um, and then COVID hit and then everything slowed down, um, which was quite nice for me. And then I just focused on me, which is something I haven't focused on for a really long time. So that was really nice. That's great. And so I'm just curious. So your is your pottery studio in your house? Yes. So I have a studio in my backyard. Ah. Um, and I work and I have my kiln in there and my slab table and um all my all everything that I my sanity that's like my sanity <laughs> room you know um so very easily accessible and it has a very beautiful door that I could just close <laughs> and no one can come in and it's a sanctuary that I just love to be in I've always wondered about the kiln in the house but it makes sense that it's actually not in your house it's in your backyard Right, right. So, you know, I think a kiln, people get afraid, you know, by a kiln, um, the heat, the amount of heat it has. And, um, but the real truth is kilns are made these days. You could even put one in an apartment. Really? If you have ventilation. Yeah. If you have a big window, you could even leave the window open. And you would need an electrician to come in and give you a different um, output, like a different um, socket. Super easy. They do it a lot. And, you know, it fires and you can even take a tissue and put it around your kiln once it's fired and it's high fired. And the tissue is fine. Nothing catches the light. They've done in such a, you know, in such a way these days that kilns are really not as scary as they used to be. Well, I have to tell you, so Steve and I took wheel throwing classes for about a year and we uh, sort of talked about it afterwards as like, wouldn't it be cool to have like a kiln in our house? But then we were like, wouldn't that be terrible? And then the house would burn down and it would be our fault and you know, et cetera, et cetera. They are different kilns. So I have an electric kiln. So um, the gas kilns are a little bit more tricky that would need to be you know housed outside but um 
a lot of ceramicists love the look of a gas kiln. It's a very different look to the, the electric kiln. So, you know, and those are a little bit, you have to do them manually. It's a little bit more labor intensive than an electric kiln. But I would totally say go for it. And there's small little kilns that you can purchase too um, that would fit in a small room, in a small bedroom, or um, go for it, Julie. That's Your really cool. <laughs> well, I noticed that in your bio, you said that you sculpt and you hand build. Does that mean that you don't use a wheel in your pottery process? Yes, that's exactly right. So um, although I do enjoy the wheel, I found it very perfect. I mm. found like my bowls and my vessels and cylinders looked very, you know, perfect. And I... I strive on the imperfection and that's the, really the reason why pottery worked so well for me is because I try and be perfect in so many other areas of my life that pottery has really taught me that you cannot be, you know, you can get better at your skill, but you cannot really, I, and I don't want to produce things that are perfect. I like the fingerprints and I like the texture and the rusticness of something that's built with your fingers rather than the wheel. It's just a different look, I guess. And believe you me, I purchased a lot of other ceramicists' work that is made on a wheel and I think it's beautiful. It just doesn't come out of my soul, out of my heart. That makes that's sense. That's the Japanese concept of wabi-sabi, which yes. is that they like things to show the hand, to show the accidents that happen. Some, sometimes the pottery that's most treasured, something happened to it in the kiln, something unexpected. I, I like that idea as well. Yeah, that's a beautiful idea, you know, for life. Um, but pottery has really taught me so many of these important things. Um, and exactly that wabi-sabi stays with me always. I think the thing that's so interesting to me is I was really bad at wheel throwing, like really, really bad at it. And I found that one of the things about it is that um, you do have to kind of, I mean, A, yes, everything turns out perfectly round, but like it's a different kind of skill folks that I don't have. And I enjoyed the hand building much more because it did allow me to not like be pushing for perfection the whole time. Definitely. I agree. Um, the wheel is definitely, it's a higher learning curve. So it'll take you longer to master. And then once you do master it, you're good to go. It's kind of like riding a bike. You'll get back on the wheel after, you know, months of not being on and you can center your vessel. Um, but it's, I like to add things with my hands that you, you cannot add on the wheel. I mean, people do amazing things on the wheel. Um, I just wasn't able to add my hand building things onto my wheel pieces. So I kind of put the wheel to the side and just focused on building with slabs, building via pinching, um, it feels like a neater process because I have to tell you, I've seen some pictures of you in your studio. You post beautiful photos and you always look so clean, <laughs> which is amazing to me because I remember from wheel throwing class, I was just covered head to toe filthy like I've been rolling around in mud. 100%. The wheel is because you use so much water, um, the clay really goes everywhere and the cleanup is much more laborious with the wheel throwing than it is with hand building because you don't really use that much water to hand build. So the clay is kind of, you know, more plastic than sloshy. It doesn't get sloshy like, like it does with wheel throwing. So I'm curious, because obviously your mom is a potter, do you guys have a similar style? Does she also create kind of wonky things? You know, she hasn't made pottery for many years. Um, but when she did, she was a wheel thrower. Um, and so, no, she, we, we didn't create similar things. We did start working on a collection together. She was visiting Los Angeles. Um, my parents don't live in the U.S. And she was visiting Los Angeles and we decided let's do a collection together. And she was so excited. And it is a hand building collection, which we started doing together. And then 
you know, with COVID, she just got a little bit uncomfortable and said, I'm going back home. So she went and we weren't able to finish our collection and she's coming back next month. So she's excited and I'm excited to pick it back up. Um, and it will be a hand-built collection, um, which is something that she enjoys, but she did focus mainly on wheel throwing. Can you tell us a little bit about two things I'm curious about? One is sort of uh, what's in the collection or what's the theme of this collection? And two, you know, you do release your pottery in collections, which I'm very interested in, and they're often incredibly different from each other. How do you like pick or, you know, decide on sort of the, what you're going to be working on? I know it's not an easy thing. So at first when I left teaching, I was thinking to myself, I want to, you know, focus more on my own art and trying to get my own signature style, which is a difficult thing to you know, Julie, your signature star, I could tell immediately if it's one of the beautiful faces that you collage and paint. Um, I love your style. I love the colors that you use. Like it's a very, you have a very unique style. So for me, not being a full-time artist for very long, I was still struggling with that. So I was building collections based on what my inspiration was that month, two months, three months, what I was really interested in. Um, and I think that is kind of not what artists usually do. I think they usually have a signature style and, you know, they make the same kind of things like bowls and plates and of similar colors. But I just can't do that. I can't stick to one thing. I think I just have so much in my brain that I want to do. And so I make, you know, I made a lot of sculptures. And then I went on to wall hangings. And I made a lot of wall hangings. And now this will be my third collection. And it's totally different. It's not sculptures, nor is it wall hangings. It's actually homewares and more functional wear. Um, so... It's difficult for me to put into words why I work that way. It just kind of comes out, I guess. I don't know what it is. I think this is actually a really important point, though, which I think a lot of people feel like they have to do sort of what everybody else is doing or they have to, like, pick one thing and sort of stick with it. But I'm a great believer. I think the way that you put it is so perfect that you just sort of pick up what you're interested in at the moment. Yeah, because so I think that we can have a personal style across many different things, right? You don't have to be the vase girl. It can be, you know, what your style is, but in many ways, and actually a good example of that, I feel like, is Jonathan Adler, the um, interior designer, right, who has done, uh, he started life as a potter. And he has done, of course, many different ceramics things, but couches and chairs and, you know, all sorts of furniture, all sorts of lamps and lights and wallpaper and stuff. And it still has Jonathan Adler's style, even if it's, you know, not a pot. So true. I didn't think about it that way, but that's exactly right. It's so true. Um, and I guess because this is only my third collection, I'm still kind of developing my style. And maybe, you know, in a year's time, it will look more similar collection to collection, even though the functionality of it might be different. Um, but I, I, I just can't make the same thing over and over again. It's like, I don't want to, it becomes mundane, I guess. Um, and that's part of my artistic flair is that I need to be trying new things and doing new things. And it's hard for me to make the exact same, you know, vase or, Thing again, which I have done for this collection. I have like a, a few, probably a handful of each one. Um, but that was difficult for me because I like to make different things each time. I guess it keeps it exciting for my own creative journey. I agree. I have a lot of trouble making the same thing over and over sort of assembly line style. I really like to always be trying something new, playing with something new. And I always think, you know, when you are making something that's somewhat identical, you want to find like, what is the newness in it? Is there a new color scheme? Is there a new approach to it? Is there a new, you know what I mean? You, there always has to be something new. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it's difficult because a lot of potters, do only make functional work 
plates or bowls, for instance, and that, you know, becomes more of a, um, there's a name for it. I think they called, um, what studio potters, but, um, can't remember what the right terminology is, but they make, you know, many of the same and that's, that, that's what they enjoyed. They like, they like that. They like the, the repetition. Um, it just doesn't work for me and that's okay. Yeah, I think that that's one of the most important skills you can gain as an artist is figuring out what you like, what you don't, what process you enjoy, what works for you and what doesn't. Like, I think people underestimate how important it is just to know yourself. Absolutely. And you know, and the only way you get there is through the doing of it. I mean, here you are, right? You've been a potter and potting, potting. As if that were a word, as <laughs> you're creating pottery for quite some time, right? And you're probably feel like you're only sort of just getting into who you really feel like you are. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I really love painting and collage, and that's why I was so attracted to your work, and I was doing that for a while. Um, and I kind of want to bring that back a little bit. You know, you don't have to stick to one style or even one medium like it's really nice to kind of flip flop between pottery and maybe some painting I haven't done it in a while and I've been wanting to get back into it so it's you know there's you have to I feel like it's really competitive right now, especially with mm-hmm. the media, how you see what everybody's doing, which is a wonderful tool to get inspired. But it also is very difficult to see what people are doing. Um, and it puts pressure on you as an artist to either follow suit or um, to do it in a certain way. So I, I am just going with a flow, to be honest. I'm doing what comes out of my heart and and that it's really for me, I know it's going to sound cliched and a little bit cheesy, but it's really a journey for me. And I've, I'll see where I am in a year's time from now. And I, I, it's very difficult for me to plan a year ahead. I can only plan a couple months ahead. Yeah. And I also think that part of the social media thing is also that like, as we, you know, the advice that we get on social media is like, do one thing, people know you for one thing, and that's why they keep coming back. But that's a social media tool. That's not actually like a tool for being an artist. And similarly, you know, I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of artists I follow and who I enjoy, who I'm not sure it's their art I like, but there's a performative aspect, you know, or the way they live their lives that's interesting, which isn't exactly liking their art, you know. And so I think it gets very complicated because all artists now are kind of performance artists because you have to show up and do a video and show up, you know, and do, you know, a, a little uh, cute captions. And you, you just, there's much more to it now in terms of making your business go. Absolutely. I 100% agree. I do follow people that I might not purchase their art, but I just love everything they put into it. I I 100% agree with what you're saying. There is, and it makes it harder for an artist to showcase that. You know, many artists just show the finished product and lots of people show the behind the scenes and a little bit of, you know, what's happening in their life and how they make their coffee in the morning. And it's interesting, you know, it's interesting Mm. and you get to know that person on a different level. Um, so, yeah, it's, Instagram has definitely taken artists to the next level, you know, visual artists to the next level. So here's a question I've wondered about, uh, particularly with your wall hangings, which were very large. Um, how do you ship pottery? With difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because my husband says to me like how are you going to ship these how are you going to ship these and said, Julie I never even entertained that thought while I was making it I just made it because it wanted to be made I, I need to be a little bit more practical in the future and the wall hanging collection kind of taught me that because um, I was just on a go 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 make what comes out um, but I definitely think it's an important thing to wrap your work really well. So with each piece in the wall hanging collection, I wrapped each individual piece um, 
And then for people who haven't seen your wall hangs, by the way, can you just explain a little bit sort of what they look like so we get the visual picture? Yes. So each wall hanging hangs on a dowel. It's either, you know, a wooden dowel or a uh, branch from a tree. Um, And they range in sizes. My largest one is, I think, 72 inches long. And the smallest one is just a string of um, ceramic pieces. So what each wall hanging is, each one has a little theme. It's either like a color theme or the piece each um, hanging. Let me see how I can put this into words. So on the dowel, there are strings hanging from them. And each string has multiple pieces of flat pottery, cut out pottery. So some of them are in a tear shape. Some of them are all hearts. Some of them are circles. Um, And each one is pretty unique. And each one is tied to another pottery piece, which is tied to another pottery piece. And then they all hang down, kind of looking like a curtain. Um, So the shipping I have to wrap each individual piece. I place it all in a box with the dowel, and then I put that box in another box with padding around it. Um, And I make sure that when I shake the box, there is no movement. That is the key with pottery. If you can hear any movement, your piece will most probably break. So you kind of have to pack it very compactly. And I really... You know, I don't mind a little bit of uh, bubble wrap, but I try and use as little bubble wrap as possible. I found this other eco-friendly wrapping, um, and I'm happy to share it. Um, it's called Giammy Wrap, and I'm happy to give you the URL for it. But, um, Great. yeah, it's kind of like a honeycomb eco-friendly paper that you pull, and it becomes a honeycomb, and that honeycomb acts like um, bubble wrap. And to be honest, not one of the pieces that I shipped broke. And I'm so... That's honest. That's awesome. I know. I can't believe it. I was so happy. Um, So I would definitely recommend this wrapping better than the bubble wrap. Um, And it's just the process. Once again, I feel with ceramics, it's not just about the idea, the making, the making sure it comes out of the kiln all healthy. It's also about how are you going to wrap it and ship it off, you know, and how are you going to wrap it to be presentable when, you know, the buyer opens the box and sees what's inside. It also needs to look pretty. So there's so many pieces in this puzzle, you know, of creating art. There are. And I was going to say, like, one of the things that people also don't realize when they buy from a small business like yours, you know, that it is a lot of work just to pack it up and ship it, not to mention cost, not just the making of it, which is also a lot of work. Yes, absolutely. The cost is higher, which is something that I, again, didn't take into account. Um, So, you know, Shipping is a big deal, but you do get around it. You do get around it. And one thing that's difficult is that everything is online now. So whereas before I was having plans of, you know, going to craft markets and art fairs and showcasing and selling my work there, which will be a much easier process when when a purchaser buys something, you know, I wrap it up, not that tightly. I, I just wrap it up beautifully and they take it home that day. But because all of that doesn't exist in California right now, um, I'm only selling online. So the shipping is is a pretty big piece. I do think that it is one of the things about business. Like I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I got approached by a couple of people who were interested in teaching online classes. And when I started to, one of the things I do in my coaching business is help people like figure out how to teach classes and stuff. A lot of people, when they realize like, all the steps that are involved that aren't just like teaching were kind of blown away. And I think the same thing is true. Like when people think about when you have a store and you're selling stuff, it's not just you make the stuff and you sell it. It's like, you got to photograph it. You got to list it. You got to do the marketing. You got to pack it up. You got to shift, ship it. You got to get to the post office. You have to buy the packing materials. You have to have back and forth sometimes with the buyer. Like there's so there's like, it is the old thing that I say all the time, which is whenever you have an art business, you spend 80% of your time on the business and 20% of the time on the art. 
Absolutely. That's so true. And actually, I was thinking about making a reel um, out of that, showcasing a day in a life of an artist. And, you know, only one tiny little snippet, as you say, is actually the creating. It's the marketing and the Instagram and the shipping and the planning and the buying of the materials and, you know, email lists and all these things that come into it. Um, but it's all wonderful. Like, I'm so happy that I get to do what I love every day and I'm so grateful to do it. Uh, but there is a little bit of a misconception of what an artist really does in his or her day. Well, I think also that misconception comes into the why is this so expensive question that people ask, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the answer is always most of the time people actually aren't making that much money off of what they're sending out. It's usually like their cost and a little bit because really? it just it's a lot. The overhead, the this, the that, the time, the effort, you know, the whole thing. And you can't compete. You can't compete with Target. You know, Target has ceramic spoons that were eight dollars or ten dollars you know i can't i can't make and ship for that amount the shipping alone will cost ten dollars so it's very difficult to compete with the big box stores and i think people are starting to realize that i think they think the target you know items are beautiful of course and they're still purchasing those but i do think that there is a movement to um help small businesses supporting artists and really enjoying the handmade process. When people purchase my stuff, they tell me that they love to eat out of the bowls or they love to drink out of the mug because it just feels there's something homemade. I don't know if it's my my heart and my soul went into it and they can feel it. I don't know what it is. But I do think there's a movement now that I hope continues um, to support small businesses like ours. I agree. And I, I also think, though, that is one of the arguments towards and one of the things I've always said about I appreciate people who make paintings that look like photographs, but then I always wonder why they didn't take a photograph. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that like when I look at a piece of art, I want to see the hand of the artist. When I buy a handmade piece of pottery, you know, why am I willing to pay $60 for a bowl? or $100 for a bowl or $300 for a bowl or however much it is. And it's because it feels to me that it was made by an artist. If it looks like something that came out of a machine, I'm just less inclined, you know what I mean, to value it, even though it demonstrates enormous skill. Because yeah. to get it to look that way by hand is unbelievable, whether we're talking about painting or pottery or whatever. But I just, I like things that look handmade and feel handmade. That is what draws me to them and makes them so special to me. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I really do agree. But I think also we're artists and maybe that's what, you know, makes us gravitate towards those types of items. And I hope that people aren't just buying art because it's easily accessible at Target. You know, I hope that they are, you know, enjoying the, the handmade process as much as we do in making it. Although I would say even at Target lately, I've noticed that they have started to sort of ape handmade looking goods. Like a lot of their stuff kind of has a little wonk or has a sort of like handmade look, you know, because yeah. I do think people do want it. It's just it's hard to afford the real stuff from artists sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Well, yeah. that's also why places like Target, they have special collections and they connect it to a name of someone who's known to be an artist because they know that you want that connection in the thing that you buy to the artist. And so, I actually think that one of the things that people like about buying at craft fairs and so on is that they feel like they have a connection now to an actual person and that when they look at this thing, when they use this item, whatever it is, or the picture on the wall, they have in their mind that they are connected to that person. I know that uh, one of the things in my, I have an old Victorian house, which of course is an endless source of uh, repairs. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that I most love is every morning I get up and when I'm going downstairs to make my coffee, I put my hand on the banister of the staircase and I can feel the hand of someone, I don't even know who, who made that railing. Yeah. And it just That's feels beautiful. wonderful to feel in my hand that someone actually made this, not 
not that there was a, some woodworking artist who made this. I just think the the idea that you want something to be connected with a company has been superseded by, for some people, by you want something that is made by a person. Um, I noticed, for example, one of the success, I don't know if you know this company, Mary Mecco, they're from yes. Finland, but they, they very specifically market things uh, around the idea that this fabric design was created by this artist who works for us and they you can find out about the artist and th they are producing something that's mass produced but they're giving it that kind of hand handmade artistic edge by connecting you to the artist who designed that that print Absolutely. And I think that's part of the reason for their longevity is because they they have this appeal of something more unique than just a commercial item. And a human behind it, you know, not necessarily just a machine behind it, but a human behind it. And I think that's why Instagram has been so good for artists, because you do get an inside, you know, uh, view of who is making this mug, who is painting this painting. Right. And you see them in their studio and that becomes really special. When it's on your wall, you remember and you still, you know, follow that person and view her studio and your painting came from there. And that's a very special feeling. Um, so I think that big companies like Mary Mecco, I think it's so smart that they're doing that because people want that connection. They, they really do. I think that there is, I agree with Bojo, there's something about things that are made by hand. I mean, I don't tend to get into like a kumbaya spiritual space that often, but I, I do think that handmade goods are often imbued with the time and energy of the maker in some way, and that there is this kind of like feeling that it's special, it's one of a kind, you know, and that is part of the reason, Edva, that I like the idea that you don't make the same thing over and over, because one of the beautiful things about buying something from a maker is feeling like you just got something that really is so unique and you know that is a one-of-a-kind piece yeah absolutely I think people like that too I think you're right it is special so do your kids still do pottery with you do you know how that saying goes the shoemaker's child <laughs> has no shoes <laughs> so the the short answer is no they don't make much but it's a very creative home. My husband and I are both creative and we encourage, you know, our kids to be creative in whatever way it is. Our oldest daughter loves to write. She's a really excellent creative writer. And our middle daughter, she um, loves to sew. And she actually sewed her whole bat mitzvah dress last year, which was a very proud mom moment for me. Um, so I feel that, my kids are definitely creative in their own way and we encourage it, but none of them are coming into the studio saying, I want to make a vase. One or two of them, you know, at some points, of course they did, but less so. And they're also teenagers. So I feel like it's, you know, a different, a different, uh, I don't know, they have different interests right now. Right. But the, the creativeness is still in the home and encouraged all the time. You know, I think that the cornerstone of all creativity for me comes out of curiosity. And so I feel like with my own son, my great desire is not necessarily that he's an artist, but that he's curious about things, you know, and wants to explore whatever they are. And I think art is a great gateway to that because you do say like, well, what happens if I mix these two colors of paint or what happens if I poke a hole in this and then put it in the kiln? Will it come out like that? You know, so that you constantly get to have these, you know, sort of evidence-based experiments with things that I think are really great. Absolutely. It's about the process for the kids, you know, let's see what works and what doesn't. That's, you know, the key, I think, with curiosity with small and big children um, is just the process of them figuring it out. Like, How does this even work? So I know you mentioned that your husband is creative. Have you guys ever worked on a creative collaboration of any kind? No, he just, 
he's just a creative thinker, but he, no, he doesn't use his hands, but he's very good, like, with thinking about things and planning things. He's just uh, very supportive of everything that I do and always helps me um, be a better creator, I guess. Um, That's great. Yeah, he's amazing. I always say about my mom, you know, people always say, oh, does she make things? I'm like, "Mm, unless we're counting food, not really. But she is always like the first person to be willing to talk to me about my artwork or to be willing to talk about an art idea somewhere. And I think that that's a really important part of the creative process is having someone or many people in your life with whom you can discuss these things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because artists sometimes aren't that good at like the business side of things or the marketing side of things. And having somebody, you know, like your mom or like my husband, it really helps because we do know the answers. We just need to get there with the questions that they ask us or the ideas that they bring forward. It either feels right or it doesn't. Um, So I think it's really good to have supportive people around you that are willing to really, as you said, listen, like, but really listen to you, you know, um, and help you through your process. So I was also thinking about, um, how during lockdown, I mean, your kids are obviously older teenagers, but you can't have had a lot of time to yourself during COVID to actually work on all these collections when you have to, you know, take care of the kids and do all that other stuff. How, how have you been doing your time management? Right. So at the beginning, it was definitely very difficult because everything was new. You know, them Zooming was new, them even working out how to, you know, work the technology behind the homework and the submissions. And um, so they did need help, especially my youngest, which is 12. Um, So he needed probably the most amount of help. And then they got into the rhythm of things. And because they're older, they didn't need me as much except for me cooking so that was a big thing that took me away from the studio is food preparation I was constantly in the kitchen cooking three meals a day and then I said I'm done with this you guys (laughs) can totally help yourselves the kitchen is open and I am not a chef so um it kind of worked itself out. It was definitely a process. And I wasn't creating at the beginning of COVID. I think it was just such a crazy time for everybody. And we we were all trying to understand what was going on. Um, Well, we still are, I guess. But back then, I kind of stopped a little bit. And I went into the studio less. And then as soon as they started getting comfortable, as soon as I was out the kitchen, I was in, in the studio as much as I could. Yes, get out of the kitchen and into the studio. That's my motto. (laughs) Yeah, it's working well now. (laughs) Right. Okay, so I do want to ask you a little bit um, about sort of, do you think when you work on your pottery, are, are you thinking of like, I know you said that your pottery sort of comes from storytelling. So does each collection then have a story attached to it or is that something where you sort of think of it big picture wise and it kind of dribbles into what you're creating yeah I think it's the latter I kind of have a feeling that I want to make something for a wall something big something textured um and it kind of dribbles from there I'm not that good at making a very um big outline of what the collection is going to look like because often it changes I can't sit down and say okay you're going to make a bowl a plate a candlestick I'm not so good at sticking to that so it's really just the overall feel and I think that um after the wall hanging collection the homeware collection which is the one that I'm currently doing I think that one came out because we were home so much and I was thinking you know, I don't even think it was a thought process. I think it was just organically. I was home so much and I was making, you know, vases and some bowls had broken. So I wanted to make some bowls for the house. And while I was making those, I was making others. Um, and I think it just kind of organically happened. So you is know? your home filled with tons of beautiful pottery? Do you just guys just use handmade bowls every day and handmade cups every day? 
that would be amazing. But no, I, <laughs> I, do, I do have some. Um, I do have some of my things, and some don't even work, and the kids don't like to use them. Like I made a bunch of mugs. No one uses my mugs but me. Um, <laughs> mug is a very personal thing, you know. My husband likes it big. I like it small. The kids. You know, different people have, they like the thick rim, I like the thin rim. So it's a very personal thing, a mug. But we do have some some of my items around the house scattered around. Um, and I just love seeing them. And I do support other artists too. I have lots of mugs and bowls and things from other artists, um, which I really sometimes even enjoy using more than my own. Well, I'm really excited to see your new collection drop. If other people want to get in uh, and manage to buy some pieces before they sell out, how can they find them? So everything is on my website, which is edvispottery.com. And everything is on there. And I usually post on Instagram pretty regularly on my stories, reminders when sh- when the shop is open and um, on my email list. So on my website, there's a little link and, and you can sign up for my email and I do giveaways on my emails. And usually my email subscribers get a couple of hours before the rest of the world um, to shop in my shop. So um, they get a chance at first dibs and all that good stuff. I always encourage people, if you like an artist, sign up for their email list because almost all the artists I know, the email list is the group that gets like the discount, the in, the knowledge, the when the collection's dropping, when the new classes are, like all that kind of stuff. All that good stuff. Exactly. That's exactly right. So I actually have a little giveaway right now just for the email subscribers. Um, a sweet little bowl um, and so from this collection. So I do, I like to give giveaways to the people that um, subscribe to my email list. So yeah, absolutely. Come and join me. So I know, Edva, I asked if you uh, could bring a recommendation for today. You did. <laughs> I did. It's okay if you don't have one. Um, it was just, I, it was probably at the end of the email. You probably didn't even notice. I, of course, have a recommendation. She is another potter. Her name is Nicola Moore. Um, I'm happy to uh, email you her details if you want. She makes also beautiful handmade pieces. Um, Different look to mine. She has magnificent colors. Um, and she really works hard on her glazes, which are mesmerizing. So I would highly recommend people to go check out her work. Awesome. Mom, do you have a recommendation for today? Yes. So I assume since people are listening to this that they like and enjoy podcasts. So the New York Times had an article at the end of March called Seven Podcasts to Binge in a Day, meaning each one has a limited number of podcasts in the series so you can get a complete experience that could be a documentary it could be a thriller whatever so i'm going to send you the link for seven podcasts to binge in a day that sounds like a good road trip deal that you could just sort of listen to all of them yes that's great um, my recommendation is <laughs> what I've been drinking every single day, multiple times a day, um, which is, uh, I have a soda stream, which is the thing, you know, that makes regular tap water into bubbly water, but I don't like plain bubbly water. So I've been putting crystal light in it and I am, it's like having a weird fizzy raspberry flavored soda and I'm super into it. So that's my recommendation for anybody who wants kind of a fun drink with no calories, um, it's just a, that's a, you know, it feels like summer. That also helps because it's 46 degrees outside right now and raining. So it doesn't really feel like summer outside. But inside, totally feels like summer. <laughs> Sounds delicious. So, Mom, I know you were very quiet during this episode. Is there anything that you wanted to add that we didn't get to? No, but I do want to s- say to Edva that your children may come around. They're by just from osmosis in the air, they're getting the idea that an artist of what an artistic life is, and yeah. they will come around to something. Uh, Julie's brother, mm-hmm. uh, who now lives in LA, is a, a filmmaker, mm-hmm. and uh, 
there was no filmmaking in my house except by him as a little kid. But uh, he has picked an artistic life without saying to himself, I'm going to be an artist. And actually, many of the things that you guys discussed, he has also come to, like the importance of becoming a businessman, not just an artist. And uh, the idea that you are a problem solver. If you're a filmmaker, you're a, you're a problem solver because things are continuously coming up and you have to figure out a solution that works for you, you know, within your budget, within the whatever resources you have. So I think he has picked up a lot of those things just from the air. And uh, you may be surprised that your kids will end up doing something artistic and certainly appreciating art in some way. Well, I'm so looking forward to that. That's that's really nice to hear. I hope so, Tim. You know, that whole idea about being a problem solver, I often tell people that making art is problem solving. Like you basically just keep creating problems for yourself and then you have to figure out how to fix them. And uh, my favorite pottery example of this is I made a uh, little like pot on the wheel and it cracked in the kiln. <laughs> Yeah. Of course. Um, and what I ended up doing was being able to like break off where some of the cracks were. And now it's a spoon rest <laughs> uh, because it's like an open pot. Right. Because right. part of it of like the the rim right of it broke away. So it just has like a base with like a ledge attached on like two thirds of it. So it's I a perfect spoon that. rest. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Well, good for you. I'm so glad that you went with, like, you, you're still using it. That's amazing. Right, we use it every of, day. That's amazing. I actually need a new spoon rest, so thank you for reminding me. There you go. You just let something explode in the kiln, and it becomes a spoon rest. It's, it's a perfect formula. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. That's great. So if people are looking for you, Edva, I think they can obviously sign up for your newsletter. They can find you on Instagram. They can go to your website. And do you teach classes online at all? No, I not right now at least. Um, I was thinking about uh, teaching classes online, like a pre-recorded. I just haven't had the time to even film the videos, you know. Um, mm. So... It could be something that I would like to do once the kids go back to school. Um, so perhaps it's in the future. Maybe you should teach your children how to film you <laughs> so that they can produce the videos for that you. That is perfect. I love that idea. But they're probably going to make me pay them. Oh, oh, you've taught them well. <laughs> I think you're paying them in food and love. I there think so go. too. I'll give them your number so you can convince them. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure I'll be very convincing. <laughs> so it's time for us to wrap up. And you can find me at juliebalzer.com or on Instagram as Balzer Designs. If you'd like to take a class with me or sign up for private coaching, I'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review, mention us on social media, or tell a friend. And all of those things help other people find the show. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. And thanks so much to Edva for being here. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. Mm -hmm.